0: Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand deer hunting podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 52, brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear. Today we're talking summer whitetail habitat tips with Jeff Sturgis, so stay tuned. Hello, hello, hello. What is going on, my whitetail friends? Happy Wednesday, hump day to you. You're almost there. It's the midpoint of the week. Friday's in sight. Uh, so we'll bring you a little bit of deer hunting podcast and deer hunting information to kind of help you get through and push through the uh, the hump day. Got a good show today. Um, we're This is part three of our mini-series with Jeff Sturgis. And today we're talking about uh, summer whitetail habitat tips, updates, improvements, i um, super excited for this conversation. I think, you know, once we hit that summer point, um, you know, we all kind of get start to get ramped up and ready for the season. I know just this past week, I was looking through a bunch of old photos from last summer on a few different glassing missions that I had and was really getting excited to kind of have those nice, long, warm summer days. Uh, this time of year is just a little bit of a tease, it feels like. The days are getting just a little longer. Uh, We've recently had a little bit of abnormally warm weather, which kind of gets you. Get you excited for the summer season to get here. Um, there's plenty of work to do between now and then, but always kind of look forward to that time of year. Um and with that, with the summer habitat improvements, you know, there's a couple things that probably are come to mind, at least they do for me. You know, let's talk about a couple of our partners here and how they, how they kind of fit in. So first, you know, Wicked Tree Gear, obviously this time of year during the summer probably want to start thinking about doing some uh, some trimming. If you're going to do any trimming, and set some stands and, and so forth. Um, I'm a guy who doesn't like to trim a lot, but I will a little bit. Um, and Wicked Tree Gear is the longest-lasting, fastest-cutting, toughest trimming tree equipment that you've ever owned. Uh, you buy it once, you buy it for life. So if you're a guy who likes to do some trimming, even if you're packing in um, a long distance to trim up uh, you know, on public land or what have you, they make some great uh, ultralight uh uh, tools in terms of their hand saws and their pull saws. So give Wicked Tree Gear a check at wickedtreegear.com and use the promo code TRUTH and get 20% discount on your Wicked purchase. Of course, summer is the Velvet Fest time, and what better way to capture Velvet Fest than with an Exodus trail camera. So head over to exodusoutdoorgear.com and uh, pick up one of their cameras. They have the Lift 2, and they also have the, the newest version, Trek, which comes in a little bit lower of a price point. And if you use the promo code TRUTH on their website at checkout, you can save yourself $20. And then, of course, we have Tecumani Seed. Uh, you know, A lot of folks here, you know, me included, do some of their planting in the spring. I'll do a little frost seeding in the spring. Uh, but this year, you know, in particular, a lot of my planning is going to happen during the summer months, uh, in preparation for fall. Uh, and with that, you know, you might want to pick up some Tecamani seeds. So head over to Tecamani.com, check out the product selector tool. It'll help you pick the right seed for whatever you want to put in the, in the ground in terms of your food plots and use the promo code truth, of course, at checkout and save yourself 20% on Tecamani seed products. And with that, moving right along on a Wednesday, I hate that phrase, I hear it on ESPN all the time, it seems like that's like their stock saying, but with that, moving right along on a Wednesday, uh, we'll go ahead and cut this intro short and get to the good stuff with Jeff Sturgis talking about summer whitetail habitat updates. All right, folks, we are live. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth From the Stand deer hunting podcast, and we are joined by jeff sturgis of whitetail habitat solutions for part three of the diy report habitat mini series and today we are talking summer habitat planning jeff how you doing buddy
2: oh doing great clint uh love to be, love uh that you have me on the series and great to be back
0: yeah i can almost smell summer can you smell it
2: <laughs> I wish uh yeah, I mean literally you get these warm-ups here in the wintertime, I can't wait. Yeah, it's it's get, it's just around the corner.
0: Yeah, I know. It's like just talking about the summer habitat planning. I'm already getting velvet fever, unfortunately. we were having a little uh, sidebar yeah. here before we started recording talking about bucks for next year and then I'm I'm getting excited. So I'll try to maintain and, and restrain myself yeah. a little bit here and we'll talk, try to keep it strictly to, to habitat today. But so just to get started, you know, we'll follow suit like we have with the other the other the first two. Um, uh, episodes in the series, and let's talk about you know the type of habitat updates you typically do or prioritize or like to complete during the summer months.
2: Um, during the summer months is really a maintenance time where, for one, I'm focusing on weed control with chemicals, um, especially on the small parcels that I'm working with. A lot of my clients have um, you can't afford to uh, let your weeds take over your food plots and certainly your switchgrass either. So. Um, You really have to have efficient plots and get the most for your acre and for your hard work and resources dollar. And so uh, chemical control is really important. Now, another thing too, I love uh, checking up on my mock scrapes and I will tell you, and and sorry for the visual, but uh, peeing in my mock scrapes, (laughs) taking a garden rake, raking it up, uh, making sure that that... That vine, I use vines for all my mock grapes now, natural grape vines, uh, usually three-quarters of an inch to a one inch in diameter. I hang them about waist high um, over a flat surface, and so I'm checking those, um, just making sure the vine's okay and intact. They usually last three to four years. Um, and, uh, and then also, I'm assessing my food plots, and a lot of times, when I'm looking at client properties, we're really having uh, some good, hard discussions on how many does they have, how many does they have during the summer if they're having a problem shooting their does, if they're creating a doe factory. And a lot of times that boils back to their summer food sources and summer habitat, and what that's contributing to their fall the hunting season. And sometimes it's problematic with the numbers they have. And there's some uh, roots for that that we look at in the summer too. And of course, making sure the water water holes are uh,
0: full. Right. So let me ask, you know, so I want to, and this might be jumping the gun a little bit here into into fall, but I don't think it is. So we know that you know bucks are likely going to change their core area whenever it moves from summer to summer to to fall and et cetera is when they go hardhorn and the velvet comes off and we all get excited as I'm doing right now. Uh, but what yeah, is yeah. you know the, the critical portion for a property to have during during you know the the summer portion of the year? You know, is there a scenario where you know that you would recommend a summer ha- or a property have great summer habitat, especially knowing if they're going to prioritize, knowing that bucks are likely going to change their core areas and who you have on your property, you know, June, July, and August may not be who who's there in the fall. So how do you, I guess, prioritize summer habitat versus the other times of the year?
2: Summer habitat is a time where, again, just like the spring, deer have more than they need. They have several times more food than they need. Their food amounts are just incredible. And they have cover, and they're not hunter-pressured, so they're scattered. Um, you, you'll find that it seems like almost every ag field in, in an ag area has deer in it, some corner of it. They're just scattered. They're living high on the hog. And so um, what I'm really looking at is, is am I creating that situation where I'm inviting too many, too many deer to the land? And so I'll, I'll give an example. I have uh, two and three-quarters acres of food plots on one of my primary properties in southwest Wisconsin. I need that two and three quarter acres of food plot to last all the way through January and into February and later if it it can, but at least through the hunting season. Now, if I have an army of does and fawns there with great summer habitat, great fall habitat, because great summer habitat for does is great fall habitat for does and bucks. Um, Meaning that bucks prefer high overstory and shade, good airflow, cool temperatures during the summertime. And, and they don't want to crash their velvet through the same cover that they'll happily live in during the fall. So completely different cover choices from summer to fall for bucks. But for does, they really want that same high stem count cover in the summer and the fall. So if you have great deer cover for the fall and you add great summer food sources, then you can be overrun with does and fawns. And so, but that's not the only problem. If you have those does and fawns there, when you want to have those fall food plots working for you, where you can mold and shape a to herd, protect bucks, young bucks, advance them to the next age class, you know, really look at the principles of QDM, harvest does when needed, you know, really uh, have a defined property of movement during the fall, then you're you're creating a situation where the does take over during the summer, they stay into the fall, they stay there when your fall food plots are coming in your late summer plantings, and you you're, you're summer your fall food plots really never get a chance to start up and so I prefer to not have much going on with my food plots during the summertime other than maintenance for weed control and so I'm looking for when those fall food plots start to come in you know it doesn't concern me when I don't see a lot of deer in late August and early September because as soon as the beans turn brown in the area as soon as the uh alfalfa gets its last cutting and those deer are going to shift to the fall patterns. And so those does and fawns that have been in an adjacent ag land will shift over to my property. And so I go from seeing three or four deer out in those two and three quarter acre food plots to 2025 by the end of September. And at the same time, those food plots that I planted in early August have had a good six, eight weeks to grow before that onslaught of does and, and, and deer pressure in general comes on the property. So, for example, my brassicas should be 20 to 24 inches by then. My uh, winter peas, uh, late-planted soybeans, oats, I've gotten a good start. If I put a base layer of winter rye, a couple base layers, then that's had a good start, too, and then, and then those deer come in. So then I have enough food plot to last. But if I had those summer food plots there, then by my experience, I'd need about twice as many acres for the fall um, than I would have otherwise needed if I didn't have those summer food sources. And if you have too many deer on your property, too many does, the first thing you want to take a good hard look at is how are your summer food sources doing? Um, should you shrink them or should you eliminate them altogether? Because often that takes care of your dough problem pretty
0: easily. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. That's that's interesting because I think that's something that I've I've run into on one of the properties is having to think about you know d- diversification. I know we touched on it a little bit in the in the spring one, but I think I need to reduce what I'm providing for the summer months because the farmer has in. Man, Jeff, I want to say I probably have like 20 acres of alfalfa um, It used to be corn, but he rotated, oh, nice. he rotated into alfalfa. And then I've got five acres of clover, and then I've got – now here's the kicker. It's like I'm doing th- the absolutely wrong thing here is I have a, about a two-and-a-half-acre plot that is all nothing but fall food, and it just gets it gets hammered. Now, there's great hunting around that one plot this this year. I think there was five bucks taken off that property. Um, mm-hmm. but, you know, running into this, a similar situation that you're kind of talking about where it's like, I think I have too much of a good thing for the summer and it's, it's hurting us a little bit and has in years past, maybe not so much this year, but in years past it's definitely, definitely has hurt us. But I want to go back to something you had mentioned about mock, mock scrapes. Um, just cause I want to, want to touch on that a little bit because I'm always curious like how many, you know, it, do you have a rule of thumb for how many mock scrapes you're putting out? Cause you know, cause I want to touch on another piece of, of you know, I guess summer summertime management, which is inventorying your bucks um or inventorying your deer herd just in general you know so how many mock scrapes is you know per acre you know or per ten, per 10 acres or per hundred acres do you typically recommend, and are you using those uh, as ways to inventory your 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 buck herd?
2: Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish it's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. right around one to two per stand location. So on a 40-acre parcel, I have anywhere from 8 to 12 stand locations typically that I'll maintain, maybe even up to 13 or 14. But um, that means no more than 15 to 20 mock scrapes. And a lot of times if I'm putting uh, two out in an area, it's, it's by a tree stand. I'm using the mock scrapes to define those lines of movement for either uh, rut cruising lines or between bedding and feeding or between bedding and bedding. And, and so I'm really using them, for one, to define traffic during the fall to help enhance traffic and movement and direct traffic. And, and then at the same time, uh, a lot of my mock scrapes, and if you watch any of my videos with the Exodus drill camera on, on video, we're, we're inventorying all our bucks over mock scrapes. And so um, I have some specific mock scrape locations, uh, one in those two two and three quarter acres of plots, there's three food plots, I have one mock scrape in that entire that entire food plot system in that valley, and I put a camera on it, and we can expect from mid-October to mid-November to get a picture of over 30 bucks, and we did this year, uh, over 30 antler deer, and all the bucks that would come into those food plots are going to get their picture taken there. Hmm. Now, if I would have 10 mock scrapes out there, or 20, pretty hard to inventory your bucks when they have uh, choices of 20 mock scrapes to go to. So you're better off having that one, no different than having eight water holes on a 40 acre parcel you can get away with one to three uh maybe four at the most in a big hilly country uh you know 400 foot elevation where you have some of the top some in the bottom but one to three is more the size if you don't have any other water sources and just like mock scrapes when you start adding too many on the property the power of one is greatly diluted by by the number that you're that you're adding uh, over what you really need so um i you know, a great time, and, and that kind of leads into even just a census for bucks. Uh, late summer is a horrible time. You know, you get into August, September, some of the scientific models to inventory your buck herd, because if you're doing a great job with your habitat, and your habitat management, and your herd management, those mature bucks really shouldn't be there yet. Um, whereas October to November, mid-November, that's the best time to really look at your actual influence, influenceable herd, where you can actually get a census of your box and your overall deer herd and really know how your efforts for your hunting pressure, your hunting pressure management and then your uh, habitat management is actually really doing.
0: Yeah. I think, I think one of the things that I got most excited about this past year, um, past year was with the, with the new property where it's, you know, there was a, a handful of decent young and up and comers as I like to call them that were, that were showing up in the summer and they actually stayed around for the, the entire year. Um, but the the two that I really wanted to see I hadn't seen all summer and then all of a sudden as soon as the the script flipped and it was time to change core areas all of a sudden the two guys that I was hoping would be on the pro- on the property because I knew nothing about it showed up and I was super excited about it because I was like this it's already oh yeah it's already working out <laughs> the way it should work out and I haven't done anything to it yet so now I know that you know I just I don't need to make a complete overhaul I just need to make some enhancements to this place Um yeah one which, which yeah, nice. of
2: the, one One of the cool things about the summertime that I enjoy doing with the kids and, you know, it's great to go out and go for a drive in the evening and check out where these mature bucks are. And, you know, with the benefit of the ag fields and a lot of winding back roads, um, it's pretty easy to find where those mature bucks are living that you see on your property here in the fall. And I I would say in my area, um, and this is typical of a lot of areas, that those mature bucks in their summer range are typically about a mile to a mile and a half from where they'll be in their fall range. And mm-hmm. so those people are watching them all summer long somewhere else, and they wonder where they go. They just think they go nocturnal when really their fall range is typically a mile away or more. <laughs> and so really cool to actually see where they're living in the summer, assess that summer habitat of what those mature bucks need at that time, and then figure out where they are in the fall, why they were killed in a certain place. And if you don't have them on your property, and you see lands that are consistently having uh, attracting those fall bucks, Uh, What is their habitat type? What kind of food are they offering? And you can really learn a lot just by watching the habitat and parcels in the neighborhood just simply driving around here in the summertime.
0: So with your so with your final kind of preparations for the for getting ready for hunting season here in in the in the summer season, you know, what time of year do you really kind of say, you know, that you shut it down and say, all right, we're getting out of the timber from here on out, you know, this this is kind of a no fly no fly zone to a degree. Like, what time? When when do you hang your last stand? And you're like, all right, we're letting us sit things set until until the party starts.
2: Well, that's a great question, and I'm always. Uh, it seems like with you know, I do work on right around. I visit sixty clients a year, and of course, with all the other white whitetail activities I do full time, it seems like my properties suffer the most, and I'm always racing <laughs> to get things done at the end. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, now, now my general cutoff is one month before the start of archery season and again i'm looking at it like now i do notice that over the years um i will have you know on average one to three mature bucks that seem to hang around here in the summertime sparingly but then i'll have eight to ten you know seven to ten six to ten up to twelve just depends on the year um that around here in the fall so i'm looking at like the mature bucks that i'm hunting just aren't going to be there in august and september and they shouldn't be there Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm really that one month cutoff and even on a couple of the lands that I have that at least the landowners actually stay off the land too, as of, uh, right around a month, one month before the season. So that's a deal I have worked out with them and that seems to work really well. Again, that you're, you know, the bucks that are am after aren't even there yet.
0: For the right. most part. I think that's a good point that you make is, you know, I think for some, you know, for folks listening to kind of, um, you know, pay attention to is that if you set things up correctly or if you're managing your habitat correctly, as just as you stated, the deer you want to be there in the fall won't won't quite be there yet. So you don't have to worry too much about boogering up your property or educating deer or whatever. I'm always, you know, I'm, no. I'm always, I guess, a nervous Nancy when it comes to pressure only because when you live in, <laughs> when you live in a place like Pennsylvania, you know what I mean? And then pressure is, you know, king to a degree. Um, you know, I just, I think it takes so little around here to educate deer, um, that I, I, I almost kind of try to cut it off. Like in June, I try to stay off the property as much as I possibly can. I'll go in to try to do some stealthy, not saying that that's the right thing to do. That's just more of my own neuroses, I think coming in where I I, I try to just do some very stealthy camera checks. Um, you know, and I, I, you know, and I even kind of have moved and this is partially, you know, um, and, and and listening to you and talking with you t- to a degree have even gone away from using my cameras as my intelligence for this year as I more now use them for intelligence for years, years upcoming. So my camera data from this year is really going to help me inform how I'm going to hunt next year versus so it actually helps keep me off the property because I'm not actually going to use that data for that given year per se. I'm more doing it for the benefit of future right. hunts. Um, which is,
2: well, and I think, I think there's, there's ways you can do it, even with the cameras to be non-invasive. And I don't like doubling up on uh, camera activity access. So I'm only accessing my cameras when I go to tree stands and it's on the adjacent. It's, it's near the tree stand. It's on the way of the tree stand. I'll take a couple cards with me, but I'm not going out of my way to my cameras. I'm only getting them when I go to my tree stands and, and really, you know, kind of what you're talking about in the summer, I really like uh, creating major shooting lanes in the springtime. And I do notice that bucks, uh, especially in these high pressure states, they notice if trees have been cut down during the summer with full leaves. And you have those dead leaves there. I, that could that is not a concern of any degree down in Iowa, Kansas, some of the low pressure states. And and folks, we're talking if if you're living in a high pressure area, Kansas has twenty five thousand bow hunters. Iowa has sixty five thousand bow hunters. Michigan, Pennsylvania has three hundred fifty four hundred thousand. Right. Wisconsin has low three hundred thousand. So. We're talking huge, huge differences in hunting pressure. And uh, so when I say high-pressure states, I mean, they truly are high-pressure states. And so I might put a tree stand up in the late summer where I'm not cutting. I don't have to cut any limbs. Um, I might access trail cameras. But, yeah, all the major cutting, um, any kind of tree planting, any kind of uh, work, uh, uh, mock scrape installs. I'm really looking at that. as We we install a lot of mock scrapes around uh, June, early July, Um, and and then keep those going uh, just simply by – you know roughing them up a little bit,
0: maybe uh, peeing them a little bit, right? Having a, having a, maybe a maybe a malted beverage or two before you step into the timber, so you make sure you're you're properly equipped to to fulfill your yes, exactly. duties. Yes, <laughs> duties. <laughs> yep, yep. All right. Exactly. Well, well, with that, let's get the Jeff Sturgis, you know, tips uh, for uh, assessing summer uh, planning and, and habitat for the summer.
2: Well, uh, first thing, I really like, uh, especially clients and, and landowners, to take a good hard look at their, their number of gear they have and how their summer food sources are influencing the numbers they have to work with in the fall. If you need to build a herd, then summer food sources are great. And then if you need to reduce a herd, uh, look at reducing your summer food sources or eliminating them altogether, and there's some good benefits to that, as, you know, other than the just numbers as well. Also, um, great time to start your mock scrapes. And uh, really continue practicing your weed control that you've been practicing in the spring. And, uh, and then also uh, making sure that your, your uh, tree stands are located and cut in and ready to go. And by the time you get into the end of the summer, it's just basically food plot planting time and checking the trail cameras.
0: All right. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jeff. I can almost see the uh, I can almost see velvet buck pictures if I try real hard.
2: <laughs> I always see them. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait till that time of year. I, I go through hunting with withdrawals in January, so I' not too too much out of the realm of imagination to think to see those starting to grow here in a couple months.
0: That's right. Hey, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on again. I appreciate it.
2: Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Clint.
0: All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank Jeff for joining us. Be sure, if you haven't yet, head over to whitetailhabitatsolutions.com and check out all of the content that Jeff has on his website. Uh, It is a place for deer nuts, deer nerds, and deer hunting addicts, so be sure to do that. Also, give him a follow on Facebook and Instagram. Also, I want to give a big thanks to all of you for tuning in, and if you haven't yet, it would be super awesome if you were able to go over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating if you are digging the podcast. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. It'll make sure that every time we have a new episode, that it is delivered directly to your mobile devices and in your pocket for your listening pleasure during the week. Uh, before we shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. Wicked Tree Gear, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Tecumani Seed, Glacier Coolers, Ramcat Broadheads, and Trophy Taker Rests. And until next time, we'll see y'all.
1: It takes a special knowing to color Image broken letters. Rationalize yourself in numbers, but... Hey, <laughs>